Hello and welcome to the post-Memorial Day edition of the Driving You Crazy podcast. I can't believe it was just last week that I had a half a foot of snow on my house. Yeah, about five to six inches of snow in my backyard. And just the Friday before Memorial Day that weekend, there were still patches of snow on the backyard as I was trying to mow the grass for a party we were throwing that night. I am the traffic anchor for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber, and this is the show where we talk about things transportation. And I have a unique interview scheduled for you today. It is, after all, the week after Memorial Day, and I spent the day working, as I usually do. Well, you know, we're the television sponsor of the big uh, festival road race called the Boulder Boulder. And sure, they have some elite runners that do the 10K in about 20 minutes, but they also have tens of thousands of average folk, runners and walkers, who like to participate in the race. And what makes this race so different is that the neighbors along the race course will entertain the racers. Some of the neighbors have bands playing in their yard. Some give out food. Some give out drinks, like beers and shots, to the runners. <laughs> One house actually has a slip and slide that you can do uh, right there while you're running. You you do the slip and slide, and then you get right back on the course and start running again. They actually bought this industrial plastic that is on their uh, front yard that they use for the slip and slide. Many people dress up in ridiculous costumes. I saw a at least one wedding proposal after the runners ran into Folsom Field over there at the University of Colorado. I have never run it because at basically this age, I only run when I'm chased. Um, And so this is the 50th consecutive year I've not run the Boulder Boulder. So I'll continue to keep that streak going. I used to run when I was younger, when I had fresh, uninjured knee joints. But now it's just walking or sitting that I think I do best. One activity, though, where you do a lot of sitting, it's a road trip. And I have a couple of road trip interviews today. Because it is the unofficial start of the summer travel and uh, driving season. In just a bit, I'm going to speak with John Moran. He's with the company called Native Camper Vans, right here from Colorado. They rent out retrofitted vans that you can camp in. The vans have a bed and cooking area and even running water. Some of the vans are are large, some are, are small. And they're actually an interesting way to see the country. I'll ask John to explain that van lifestyle and how you can try it if you like. I'll be calling him in just a bit. I'll also speak with Connor Day. Connor is the director of product at Root Insurance. Root Insurance did a distracted driving survey recently, and some of the findings I think are quite ridiculous. I'll hook up with him right after I speak with John. But first, speaking of road tripping and the summer travel season, there was another poll that was just released by a company called One Poll on behalf of Ford. So that knows, let you know where they're, they're sitting before I, I tell you what their poll did. And I think it really hints, though, at our disdain for the current state of air travel. Now, the poll shows nearly three out of four American travelers would prefer to hit the roads this summer instead of fly to their destination. The 2,000 respondents of the poll blamed several factors for their hatred of flying, including the delays that we all can't stand, uh, going through security, that can be a real pain, and cramped seats, as well as the inability to pack everything they want to bring. I mean, those are all valid concerns right there. But with road tripping, it's a different story. Now, according to that study, 
The top benefits of staying in the car are scenic views, having the freedom to stop whenever and wherever you want, and the ability to pack whatever you want. I guess people like to travel with all their stuff. Nearly half of the people that responded to the survey say that road tripping is slightly out of their price range. Maybe they're referring to the price of gas or the extra mileage they'd be putting on their car or maybe the money they'd they'd be putting into hotels. Uh, Anyway, additionally, one in three are worried of bad weather conditions on their drive. One in five are concerned their kids are going to get restless during the long trip. But that's what movies on a laptop are for, right? That's how you get around that one. Ford chief futurist Cheryl Connolly said in a statement, Millennials came of age in a time when air travel was accessible to everyone. They were known as the globe-trotting generation, but now we're seeing a shift. Many of them are choosing to stay closer to home, taking family road trips instead, and reliving their childhood for their kids, something we call the hashtag road trip rewind. Now it seems like Ford is just making up terms and jobs. Futurist? You're a car company futurist. I would love to be the Scripps company futurist. I'll let you know what's going on in the future. I think that's a great job because if your predictions go wrong, it's okay because you are just predicting the future. Almost 6 in 10 Americans say they plan to take more road trips in the next five years than they have over the last five years. And speaking of road trips, one of the activities that lots of people like to do when we go road tripping is to go camping or at least try to combine the two. Some people like to set out in a tent and go simple, while others like to go big and rent an RV. But there is an option for those who maybe want some comfort while not going maybe as big as an RV, but going as small as just a little tent. There's a company called Native Camper Vans right here in Colorado, and they could be your ticket to a different kind of camping trip. Joining me to talk about the service and why it's different is John Moran. He's the head of product for Native Camper Vans. John, thanks for being here on the Driving Your Crazy podcast. Hey, Jason. Thank you. Appreciate it. Let's get to know John. What made you think of renting out camper vans? Ooh, uh, well, I went on a trip. Actually, it starts uh, with a hole-in-one, if you can believe that. Um, really? Yeah, I was playing golf with a bunch of friends, and uh, there was actually a, a benefit going on um, at Colorado National for some of the firefighters that were having to fight the blazes that were going on at the time um, in the mountains. And so there was a deal to put $20 down for the possibility of winning um, 2000 And so I put $20 down because there were some other benefits that went with it. It seemed like a good deal to me. Uh, Not a very good golfer. So this was a complete fluke, but it actually went in. And so I won won $2,000. Yeah. So you got a hole in one? I did. I got a hole in one. Amazing. There was money on the line, which is even (laughs) crazier. Probably will never happen to me again, but hopefully it does. Um, So yeah, that that $2,000 though actually went straight to a ticket to New Zealand uh, with my best friend, Dylan. Um, and so he and I went down there. We didn't have an itinerary. We really had zero plans, maybe a few things that we wanted to see. Um, but we rented a camper van down there and had such an amazing time, um, related so well to the lifestyle and the products and, and just the ability to go anywhere, whenever you want. You can change your trip up. 
um, that just appealed to us so much that we, we came back, sort of worked a little bit while longer in our existing jobs and just uh, became disenfranchised enough to do something crazy. And, and this was it. So this is something that happens in New Zealand. You saw it there and, and they have these camper vans around that you can rent? They do. They have them in New Zealand and Australia. Um, they're really popular there. It's probably the best way to travel those two countries. Um, but the rest of the world does this pretty often as well. I would say it's um, it's it's a newer concept um, in the United States than, than most other places. They're much more well-established. So what is the camper van lifestyle, if you will? What makes it more unique way of camping than, let's say, getting a traditional RV that most of us know or a travel trailer or just going simple with a tent? Yeah, so RVs... Um, most RVs come with, uh, they require shore power. So you actually need to plug into a campsite that that's outfitted for that express purpose. Um, and so you're kind of tied down, uh, close to, to those locations. Um, the other, so just traditional camping and tents and things like that is obviously still popular and it's, it's, um, inexpensive and easy. Um, you just sort of have to put miles on your own car and you end up having to go, um you're in the elements so you have to sort of stay out of the weather and all of that um camper vans a little bit different so you've got a rental car and you've got your lodging so if you're coming in from out of town there's really no better way to to see the outdoors than in the camper van just because everything's taken care of um, rental companies like ours provide everything that you'll need so you don't need to pack a bunch of extra stuff all the bedding and kitchenware is included um but the beauty is that you can tuck yourself away if the, if the weather's no good. You can change your location completely if you really don't like the weather or if you just want a, a new scenery. Um, and camper vans tend to be um, self-sustainable. And in other words, you can't really, um, you, there's nowhere that you can't go. You can, you can be anywhere with sun. We have solar panels on our vans that, that uh, kind of charge all of the camper van interior. So uh, you can find yourself anywhere um, you know, in the, in the U S and in Canada, um, at any time, it's, it's really kind of the best way to see those places that, that not very many people have seen. So it sounds like these vans aren't quite the same as the old Volkswagen van again, that my best friend's brother had when we were growing up. <laughs> sounds yeah. a little fancier than that. <laughs> it is, it is, but it's the same, uh, sort of concept. I would say the people that, that, did that in the 60s and 70s, 80s. Those guys were, um, you know, doing the same thing that that we're aspiring to do: just travel around and, and be and be free. This one, these vans are a little bit more upgraded for sure. They've got uh, some more technology that, um, you know, has the c- capacity to keep you warm in the winter and cool in the summer. And uh, you've got a refrigerator and electronics, so you can charge all of your stuff. Um, so step up, but same same idea. So you said it does have electricity. Does it have its own Wi-Fi? Does it have running water? Does it have a bathroom? Um, it, it does have its own electricity. So we've got, a like I said, a solar panel that charges an ancillary battery that's also connected to the car's alternator. So you can charge it while driving or just by sitting in the sun. Um, it does not have Wi-Fi, and it doesn't have any facilities like bathroom or shower. Um the reason why we designed it that way uh, is twofold. One, 
it just helps us keep our prices down um, and helps, you know, charge a, a product that's uh, affordable. The other is that uh, we really encourage people to actually get out um, in small towns and talk to people, use the bathrooms, be creative about how you get showers or not shower at all. Um, it just having Wi-Fi and, and forcing people to stay in their camper van is, is not really the kind of trip that we want to create. And um, we're hearing from our customers that that's the sort of stuff they want to escape when they go on vacation. So, um, yeah, that's that's our thinking, and, and hopefully that's what that's what people are attracted to. And so it's since since you said it was a, a van without really facilities, then I have to find a place that I'm either parking or, like you said, just get out and walk around. So am I stopping at a Walmart parking lot and sleeping there, or am I finding a campground and, and sleeping there? Or where, where do the typical places that, that people park these things and hang out for the night or hang out for the day? Yeah, so uh, the the Walmarts and the Lowe's and, and um, places like that are always available. Uh, there's certain municipalities that won't allow that. And so, um, like I think Vail is, is a good example of a place where you'll actually have to find a campsite or a campground. Um, that That is one option, though. I actually slept below a roller coaster in, in Nevada um, once. So, you know, wherever you end up is wherever you end up. But um, in the state of Colorado, you can actually uh, camp on any Forest Service road, um, and there's thousands of them. And so there's thousands and thousands of places to actually end up. And because you don't need to plug in, um, you don't really need to end up in an organized place. Uh, in Utah, you can sleep on any Bureau of Land Management land. So BLM land is all available for camping. Um, obviously it really just means that we all have to kind of be respectful of the space and that we clean up after ourselves so that it can continue for years to come. So is there a loose definition of quote unquote air quotes here, uh, camping where I could just maybe drive my own car up onto a forest service road and park it and just sleep in it? Or do I have to have an outfit like yours where it looks like I'm really camping and not just a guy living in, in his in his truck or in his van uh, on yeah. a forest service road or down by the river, as Chris Farley would say. Yeah, I'm not actually familiar with any um, any restrictions in terms of what kind of vehicle that you, you get in. Obviously, you'll want the right vehicle for the right road if, it, if it's really uh, bouldery and, and um, you know, difficult for a normal car to get back down. You wouldn't want to end up back there, but... Um, so I think the answer is no. It doesn't really matter what, what vehicle you're in or, or how you're getting there. So how many of these vans do you have? And how, I guess uh, how hard are they to operate, to maneuver around, to drive mm-hmm. and, and get around? Yeah. Um, so we have 40 and counting right now. Uh, we have three locations, Denver, Salt Lake City, and Las Vegas. Um, they... So we have three different models now. We're working on a, a family version at the moment that will be out uh, this coming spring. So not this year, but next. Um, but they're all the biggest vehicle that we have is the length of a Suburban. Um, so it's it parks in normal parking spots. Uh, it's a Ram Promaster, which is uh, kind of infamous for its turning radius. Uh, it's really built for... Um, city drivers, plumbers, florists, people that are transporting things. Amazon has huge bulk orders of these things. They're really, they can fit in tight spaces. They're very maneuverable um, and definitely easy to drive. Uh, that's our big E model. Our smallest model is a Ram Promaster City. So it's about the size of a minivan. Um, 
equally as, as easy to, to navigate and to move around in. Um, it's smaller and better gas mileage than the Biggie. Um, so if that's something you're into, then that's, that's an option. And then our smallest model is the OG, which is our original vehicle. It is actually a minivan that we've converted into a camper van. So if you're, if you've got one of those at home and you need something, uh, similar then then that would be your model. I'm speaking with John Moran. He's the head of product for Native Camper Van about their camper van products. You just mentioned that you're working on a family-style one because it seems like most of these are for maybe just two people, a couple, or a couple of friends that are out doing this. doesn't seem, at least with the vans you have now, designed for a family of four like I have where I could take my wife and my two kids because my kids are young, but, but they're also not tiny. Yeah, right. And that's, that's, you're the demographic that we're recognizing we're wanting to appease. Uh, we've got lots of families that run out our OG, which, which seats up to five people, but the sleeping capacity is only just the full-size bed in the back. Um, so at the moment, you can rent out a rooftop tent that would accommodate your whole family. Um, but a, a family-style van is definitely, um, you know, on the horizon for us. So we're, we're excited to get started with that. How far is someone taken one of your vans wow good question our vans tend to go on on better trips than we've ever been on unfortunately but um i would say probably florida wow is probably the farthest um we get a lot of people that kind of go from las vegas up the west coast into oregon washington and, and do the pch along uh the pacific which is um a pretty cool trip um, but I would say the, the deepest someone has gone is probably that southeast. But if your vans, like you said, are just here in Denver and in Utah and in Vegas, uh, I, I guess that's a pretty far drive to go up to Northern California in the van. So what is what is that costing somebody? Do you charge for extra mileage? We have 100 miles per day is built into the trip. So if you did a longer trip, then you could benefit from just uh, having more mileage built built in. But you can certainly buy more mileage. Uh, we have a 200 mile per day uh, package and a 300 mile per day package uh, available. So you can increase it um, and kind of you know get everything that you need. Um, yeah, it's kind of a build your own trip uh, model. And we've got a booking tool on our website that helps uh, kind of identify what your trip's going to cost and what it's going to look like. It's, it's, it's a live quoting tool. So there's it's no need to wait for, um, you know, an email to come your way, but you can certainly do that if it's something you want to. So let's talk about your typical client who rents these vans. Where are they from? What are they into? What are they like in a camping van vacation? Yeah. So our typical, um, client, we, our average age is 40. Um, so we get anybody from their seventies down to, uh, 21 is the youngest that we'll rent to. Um, people tend to range from folks that are really interested in the lifestyle and actually probably pursuing a a build of their own. Either they're doing it themselves or they're getting it built by somebody professionally. And they just want to make sure that the lifestyle is something that they're um, really going to like. So we get a lot of prospective buyers that, that rent from us. Um, we get a lot of repeat customers that, that don't really have the money to cough up, you know, 60, 70 grand for a camper van and want to just rent one a couple weeks a year. 
Um, we've got probably uh, 15 to 20% of our customers are foreigners um, from Europe, from uh, South America, uh, Asia, Australasia, people from really all over um, come in. And then in the United States, there, there tends to be a lot of people from the East Coast that come out this way. Um, but we also have a lot of locals from, from Utah and, and Nevada and, and Colorado. So it's a, a pretty wide expanse of, of customers. And what are they looking for typically when they come out and they say, I'm ready to, to hit the road? What, what are, are their adventures in their head before they set out? A, a lot of people just want to sort of see some of the big uh, national parks. Um, Southern Utah is really, um, it's, it's pretty amazing in terms of how accessible each of the national parks are um, down there. So you can do a one-way trip between any of our locations and, and you can end up hitting a lot of those national parks um, and not have to backtrack. So you could do a Denver to Salt Lake and do all those things and then, you know, end up in Salt Lake and not have to, uh, double down on your mileage. Um, so I would say national parks, big time destinations are usually where people want to go. Um, but because camping can be difficult in those locations, you, you end up sort of peeling off on one of those forest service roads and, and going down uh, to a place that you never really thought existed. So that that's the beauty of, of this trip is you can go where everybody's going and, and sleep where no one is. I'm speaking with John Moran. He's the head of product for Native Camper Van. Do you, John, ever get the person who sets out on their adventure and they're all excited about it, gets in the van, gets going, and then after maybe a day or two says, you know what, this really isn't working out for me very well and I want out? Hmm. I think maybe one or two customers in the life of our business have said that. I but I don't think it was ever for a reason uh, like the one you're describing. I don't know that anyone's ever just kind of completely aborted the mission in the middle of the trip. Um, but that is one thing uh, about van life that is probably very true is that um, you can definitely hit some rain and you might end up in a campsite where, um, you know, it's not what you expected or there's, there's lots of things that can come up during the trip like any trip. And um, the beauty of this kind of travel, though, is that you can just completely switch it up and do something new. If you're not really liking the outdoors and, and you wanted something a little bit more uh, urban, you can you can go to a concert um, at Red Rocks if you want and and do that whole thing. We've definitely had people that uh, just came in to visit friends and they they slept in their friend's driveway. Um, there's really nothing you can't do in this trip. So it's really it's difficult to to imagine a customer that can't really uh design their own trip according to their own comforts how long do these campers usually rent the van for what are their uh usual uh time frame of how long they want to go uh seven days is the average trip um but we've got this summer already we've had somebody rented for um just over a month um and then three days is our minimum so we get just the weekenders as well have you lived in one of the vans i haven't lived in one no um you know we thought we would get into this business and we'd have lots of time to to be in our own camper vans and um maybe for for good reasons we haven't had the opportunity to spend uh great lengths of time but i will say that every once in a while we'll have to get a van from one of our locations to another one and so that that means we get a free trip in one of our camper vans which is always uh welcome 
And have you thought about expanding this instead of just having it here in Denver and over in Salt Lake and Vegas? Maybe put some in California or down in Texas or out to the East Coast. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, we just added Vegas this year, Salt Lake last year. So we've been growing at a pretty rapid clip um, so far. And we're still looking um, westward. I think California is probably, um, you know, on the map for us. Uh, we found out with our Salt Lake expansion last year that it, it, it makes a lot of sense to have locations that are within um, driving distance from one another uh, because we do have a, a, a lot of customers that utilize our one-way trip option. Now, you said that you have um, some folks that are interested in trying out this lifestyle and don't want to drop maybe fifty or $60,000 on a van and then doing the retrofit for it. Do you have some people that are interested then in maybe seeing if this is the right lifestyle for them and then maybe coming to you to outfit a van for them and then they can go off and and live this lifestyle on their own? We do. We do. We actually, um, when we started building our biggie, um, we met a gentleman by by the name of Dave who started Van Life Customs. Um, Dave Walsh really just it was a fledgling business for him and it was a fledgling business for us and so we established a partnership where we're um, working really intimately with one another and he has taken off really since our business started and and since his did Um, so every time somebody wants one of our vans we send him over to to van life customs he can do a custom build for for anyone with um, most uh, sort of biggie sprinter uh, pro master style vans um, we also get a lot of people that call and just want a used van of ours, which is also an opportunity that we have. Um, there's actually a little form at the bottom of our website uh, that people can fill out and get on our mailing list to, to be uh, the first to take a stab at one of our used vans. So do you have Van Life Customs then outfitting your vans? Is that how that partnership works? We do. Works? Yep. Sorry, I failed to mention that. Yes, they, they do our builds. Um, we sort of help with the design all of our backsplashes are really unique um, for each van. And so um, Van Life Customs sort of allows us to do those custom. But everything else uh, is, is is them and, and kind of a collaboration between us in terms of the design. Um, our smallest camper van is done by a company called Contravans, um, which is right next door to Van Life Customs. And they do um, minivans and uh, smaller cargo vans. They, they'll even outfit your uh, you know, your forerunner or your truck or something like that with, with a camper van as well. So there's lots of options out there. Yeah, I was just returning my uh, lease. I was leasing a Nissan Rogue, and I was over at the Nissan dealership turning it in, and they had in their showroom a bunch of trucks. They had a pickup truck and, a, and another car, and then they had these campers that actually you attach to the roof rack, or uh, and you've seen the ones, those yeah. those tents in the back of the pickups. And I was touching the back of this pickup bed, and it was just full metal. And I'm thinking that's that can't be that comfortable. So, oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, how how and and then trying to climb up a little ladder on the top of your car to this little tent that just seemed a little odd. Maybe you're going to be out of the way of the bears, but uh, it still doesn't <laughs> seem that comfortable. It seems like your vans are are going to be pretty pretty comfortable. Yeah, we we tried to make an effort of that, actually. So each of our, our Biggie and our Smalls have uh, memory foam mattresses in them, um, which were so comfortable that, that my business partner and I actually put a few of them in our own house because we're, yeah, we couldn't sleep any other way. Um, 
but yeah, there's, you know, like you're saying, there's, there's lots of options out there and um, we're just sort of into the whole lifestyle. And so we're not, we're not going to hate on anybody if they, they decide to get a, a Nissan Rogue with a rooftop tent on it. So where do you see this going in the next, let's say, five, ten years? Will you have 50 vans by then? Yeah, I think so. And and hopefully um, expanding in a new location, uh, we'll, we'll grow our fleet and grow our, you know, employee base and, and all our resources, all that. Um, I think the industry is only going to continue to grow. Uh, there's really no signs of stopping right now. Uh, the economy is great. Uh, everything's sort of keeping it afloat at the moment. Um, I imagine that we'll, we'll continue to innovate and create new vehicles that, that appeal to our customers in new and different ways. And then when you have self-driving camper vans, you can yeah, have right. it drive you to the destination you want to go to, and you can yeah. just relax in the back, right? Absolutely. Yeah, that would, that would be a dream. That would be the ultimate vacation. There you go. John Moran, the head of product for Native Camper Van. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for sharing uh, the camper van experience with us. And if somebody's interested in a trip uh, with you, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, so our website, nativecampervans.com, is the easiest way to just get a quote and to inquire about any specific questions that you may have. Awesome. Thanks again, John, for your time. Yeah, thanks, Jason. I appreciate you having me on. Again, that website is nativecampervans.com. It really sounds like an interesting time. I drove an RV one time from Denver to Miami. It was a medium-sized RV. It was, I guess, pretty big for, for one guy. Not too tough to manage, but it was larger than a van, of course. See, I was working for KOA Radio at the time here in Denver. And the year before, the station sent everybody except me to the Broncos Super Bowl in Miami when they beat Green Bay. And they spent a ton of money doing it. Well, the next year, when the Broncos went back to the Super Bowl, number 33, they were playing the Falcons in Miami. And the station wanted to find a creative way, and more importantly for them, an inexpensive way to send a reporter to Miami. So we came up with this idea for me to drive an RV from here all the way down to Miami and then stop in some of the hometowns of the Bronco players who were on the team at the time along the way and go talk to their families. Then I was going to make my way to Atlanta by Friday before the game, and then to Miami by Saturday night. And on the RV, I had uh, Go Broncos all over it and pictures of the Broncos. And so it was going to be uh, funny for me to drive this RV, Broncos dressed up RV, through Atlanta before heading down for the Super Bowl. I talked with Bubby Brister's parents in Monroe, Louisiana. He was the backup quarterback that year. He played several games. I talked with Tyrone Braxton's mom in Oklahoma. That was pretty fun. I spoke with defensive tackle Keith Trailers, high school coach. I remember that. And I stopped to talk to this family who they have season tickets to all the Broncos games, but they live in Arkansas, in Little Rock. And they drive from Little Rock to Denver for all the home games. And I thought that was quite intense. That's quite the fan to drive that far for every home game. And then they had a whole room in their basement that was all decked out with Broncos everything and and Broncos memorabilia and all kinds of stuff. It was overall a pretty interesting trip. I also, while I was on my way, would pop on with local radio stations and talk about my journey. And, of course, I did radio hits for KOA Radio and for uh, the local TV station back here. Not, Not Channel 7 that I work for now, but... It was a lot of work, but it was rewarding. Uh, Anyway, I I made it to Atlanta 
on that Friday, and I did some radio and TV hits there, and then I went off to Miami and made it Saturday night down there to Miami. And the plan was, for me, because I didn't have any tickets to the game, was to go to the parking lot the next day on Super Bowl Sunday and just party with the other RV people. Well, my GM, when I got to the team hotel Saturday night, he said that he liked my reporting so much that he actually presented me with a ticket to the game. I was so stoked. It was great. And the day of the game, I had already scheduled a ride in the Blockbuster Blimp, and that was super cool. One, there's no more Blockbusters, and there's definitely not the Blockbuster Blimp here anymore. And, and so I'm riding in this Blimp, and it was just me and the pilot, which was remarkable how I set this thing up. And so we're flying over the stadium, and I have video of it, and I think I've posted it on my Facebook page in the past. So he tells me to stand up as we're in this basket in this blimp. And there's this bar, this metal bar that goes across the front, uh, right above where he sat, right above the, the front seats where the pilot sits. And he says, all right, hold, make sure you hold on to at least one hand. Hold on to that bar and, and watch this. I'm like, oh, okay. So we, he, he says that the blimps would actually – rise on little bubbles of air and then they fall just like if it was a pot of boiling water and sometimes when you hit this you can actually point the bull the, the blimp down and, and you're almost in a dive well he he wanted to show this to me so he says hold on to that bar and don't let go and so we're going up and then all of a sudden he starts diving towards the stadium and we're we're not quite at at 90 degrees but we're we're well over 45 degree angle pointing down at the stadium and I'm holding on for dear life and, and he said later, if you let go, you probably would have gone through the windshield and then all the way down to the stadium. So uh, I, I'm, I'm glad I made it through that alive, but it was quite the ride in the Blockbuster blimp. Uh, and then I went to the game, and I was sitting along the 20-yard line of the Falcons' side of the stadium in the very last row in the very upper deck of the stadium there. Next to me was former Bronco running back Reggie Rivers, who's a friend of mine. And he, it, they, they weren't the best seats in the world, but hey. They were inside the stadium and not outside the stadium where I was originally going to be, out there in the parking lot with the other RV folks, so I was glad to be in there. Anyway, the game was great. It was uh, the last game for John Elway. They won their second consecutive Super Bowl there. I drove Reggie back to the team hotel in the RV, and he gave me his ticket to the after party where the um, the band, the Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, remember that band? They, they I don't really hear of them much anymore now. But they played uh, the after party. That was a lot of fun. Uh, and then it was back to the RV for sleeping. And then back to Denver on Monday morning, all the way from Miami. That wasn't fun. Took me three days. Three days. The first day, I motored all the way up to Macon, Georgia. Then the next day, uh, up through St. Louis. And then day three, I made it all the way back to Denver. Three days from Miami all the way to Denver in an RV. So I couldn't drive as fast as you might think you can drive. Um, but I'm glad I did it. I don't know if I would really want to do it again. I'm, I'm glad I did it when I was younger than I am right now because I was able to tolerate it a little bit more. Even so, I do like to do road trips. And for me, they really can be relaxing. I actually like getting out on the open road and, and taking a look at the scenery, especially in places that I have never been before. It's a great way to see all the different and unique landscapes and places around the country, even though there's a lot of homogenization going on around the country, that you could stand in a shopping center in Akron or in Tuscaloosa 
or in Denver or in Sacramento, and, and you could see some of the same stores, the Subway and Home Depot and Walmart. I mean, you could see some of the same stores that you will across the country, but there are some places that still have some local flavor to them, and, and I like that, and you can only see that when you're traveling around the country. But when you're in the car, no matter if it's a quick trip to the grocery store or across the state, you're probably going to be distracted by something in your car, and most likely it's your phone. Now, there's a new study by Root Insurance that reveals some shocking behavior we are doing behind the wheel. To talk all about the survey and some of the surprising things we do while we're driving is Connor Day, the director of product at Root Insurance. Connor, welcome to the Driving Your Crazy podcast. Thank you, Jason. Good to be here. Connor, before we talk about the numbers as part of this study, let's talk about road tripping. It is road trip season. It's after Memorial Day. This is the time of year where we like to go out and hit the road. Do you like to go out and hit the road? Um, I do, and especially now that my family has started to add younger nieces. Road trips become an easier, more convenient way of travel than, than airfare if you've ever traveled with young kids. Most certainly. I have two uh, two daughters, 7 and 10 right now, but yeah, we've been traveling with them a lot. We actually have a road trip coming up to Hutchinson, Kansas from Denver, which is outside of Wichita for a baton twirling competition in a couple weeks. So that ought to be a good time. <laughs> this yeah. is, And I think it's the time of year where a lot of folks think about hitting the road. I agree. Yeah. I mean, the summer, it's the time to kind of live into that adventurous spirit. And I think like a lot of the American dream around doing things and getting out there and seeing the world. Like road trips work well for a lot of people. It's more spur of the moment. You don't have to worry as much about planning or buying tickets, going through TSA. As I mentioned, kids make things more challenging when you think about airfare and also cost. And so road trips just are a more approachable way to getting out of your town, seeing new sites, going new places. And especially in the summer when people are ready to get out of their houses and go see new things, it's the perfect time for it. And it's no secret that we like to fidget with our phones while we're driving around town. But I imagine that the temptation has to be even stronger during a road trip because the driver is just, for the most part, sitting there. And if you're on some wide open roads, you're really not doing a whole lot of sightseeing. Correct. Yeah. I mean, when we think about people are using their phones even just for their daily commute, which can just be 20 or 30 minutes. And so layer on top of that now a couple of hours behind the wheel, that urge to check in with a group chat or a social media becomes more and more great. Now, theoretically, in a road trip, you may have a co-pilot, which could keep you entertained in a less distracting way. But even so, um, again, four hours into a, a trip, wanting just to check a couple of things quickly on your phone versus pulling over and adding time to that trip is more and more enticing for drivers. So let's talk about some of the numbers from this survey. Nearly 1 in 10 drivers have watched a streaming video while driving. Now, I have to say, in all honesty, I I have done this, but every time I do it, it's been during major breaking news, and I'm I'm listening more to the coverage than I am actually watching it because I have a a mount there on my windshield that holds the phone, and then I can hear it through the Bluetooth in my car. So I'm, I'm listening more than I'm watching, but it is definitely on. But it surprised me to see so many people are watching other videos. It is a little shocking. Um, I've kind of done the same. I've used YouTube as um, a music playlist, so not actually watching the video, really just using audio through Bluetooth. But the 10% of people actually watching movies or shows while driving is crazy, Um, and it actually skews even further with age where 
millennials and um, Gen Xers, they're like 15% um, more likely to watch streaming video. In relation to, I think, boomers, it's only around 1% of folks. So it's definitely a bigger issue with youth right now. But I'm not surprised by hearing that because you would think that more millennials are in touch with their phones than Gen X like me or boomers who aren't really with their phones that much. And, and they, the older drivers, they, they probably aren't really attached to their phones like the, uh, like the millennials are. Correct. Yeah, we see that overall. Just phone use in general um, skews with age. So when we think about um, how many times somebody's picking up their phone while they're driving, it's about 20 times per 100 miles for Gen Z at the furthest end of the spectrum, but only about 11 um, for boomers. So it's about a 50% less likely chance for a boomer to actually be interacting with their phone. It totally makes sense, but we're able to back that up with the survey. I also found this stat a bit disturbing from your study, and we're speaking with Connor Day, the director of product at Root Insurance, that 16% of men would turn their attention away from the road while they're driving and to their mobile device for a potential date on a dating app like Tinder, Hinge, or Bumble compared to only 6% of women. I'm surprised not only that the, that we would do this, but there's actually 6% of women that are interested enough in finding a date with a guy that they would do this while they're driving. <laughs> Right. Um, I mean, a lot of the answers that people gave us in this survey, I have that same question of, like, why not just wait 20 minutes? You know, you're near your destination. It's not that important. But we see uh, um, dating-related distractions are definitely more high for men. Um, However, overall, when we think about distracted phone use, women tend to skew a little higher there. They're more likely to check um, in with group apps or social media But dating was one of the few that skewed much more heavily towards uh, the men of the audience. Yeah, it says that, what, half of the drivers that were in your study will respond to a group chat, like a text message chain or an email chain, more than just a single text or single email. It's interesting that they're responding to these group chats rather than just single chats. Yeah, I mean, I'm, so I'm not a psychologist, but it, it makes sense to me in the idea that when there's a group chat going on, there's this fear of missing out or FOMO that starts to take in that if it's one person, sure, they can wait for my response. But if it's a group, well, I don't want to fall behind. I don't want to be the one that didn't respond to a funny joke or a crazy story. And so there's more of a pull to get involved when it's a group chat or, again, like social media, stuff happening real time and more of a group setting, that's much more of a pull away from the road to check your phone. Now, here's something I'm really good at while I'm driving. I am really good at not using my hands while I'm driving and actually driving with a different part of my body, typically my knees. But your study found that 29% of drivers don't keep their hands on the wheel and will drive with either their chin or their knee. I'm I'm not really into the whole chin driving thing. What was that all about? (laughs) Well, so Jason... I'm sure you're a relatively good driver with your knees, but I'd argue that with your hands, you're a much better driver. Of course. (laughs) So yeah, knees, chin, elbows. I mean, there's a lot of reasons people may find for needing to take their hands away from the wheel. Um, And in lieu of an actual emergency, I think in most of those cases, we could keep our hands uh, firmly placed on the wheel. Um, But yeah, knees, I think, was the the leading one there of um, taking our hands off. 
And that also will tend to happen, I think, a lot more during, again, the road trip atmosphere of driving for a lot of hours, your hands get tired, you want to change it up and drive with something different. Um, but I'd ask everyone to fight that urge, keep hands on the wheel, and stay as safe as possible for that. So what other unsafe activities did you find out about, the, at least that what people admitted to on your survey while they're driving? It's quite the swath, uh, Jason. <laughs> so... I mean, we saw the typical ones, again, driving with body parts, but um, playing with a pet. We have people changing their clothes, using the bathroom. Some even admitted to taking a nap, hopefully accidentally. I don't know how you take a nap while you're driving. That just, that, I don't know how that's even possible. Yeah, I, I want to agree with you, but it happens. And that's, I think, the scary thing of being out on the road with so many of these behaviors becoming more and more prevalent is that even if you're doing the best that you can to be focused, which I think is hard for everyone. When you think about distraction, phone use is definitely one of those and one of the leading culprits of distracted driving. But interacting with the radio, talking with your co-pilots, checking out that wreck that you just passed, there's a lot of things that pull our attention away. And so as much as we can, um, paying more attention to the road in front of us is increasingly important, um, at least in the U.S. I know um, crash stats keep coming out that terrify me of how dangerous the roads are getting, especially for youth. And so all these behaviors that we think are one-off, that we only do occasionally, um, those are the seconds that could matter in an emergency. One item on here that you did not include, at least I don't see it on the list, is uh, picking the nose. I see that a lot while I'm driving. Yeah. <laughs> I have noticed that as well. Um, I guess people are a little bit more shameful about that. They didn't answer that on the survey as much as taking a nap. You also have 11% of people performing stunts in their vehicle, like donuts. That seems pretty high to me that they would be admitting to uh, doing donuts in a parking lot somewhere. Yeah, and actually, I don't have the stats on the age breakdown. I have my hunches there. But you think about short donuts, um, fast acceleration to impress somebody that they're driving with or bystanders. There's... This, again, need of um, impressing others that tends to come up in a couple of these events, that is unfortunate, but I've seen it on the road myself. So Root Insurance is a company that I really haven't heard of. I've, I've heard of you know Progressive and Geico and all the big ones, but what is Root Insurance? What do you insure? Yeah, so Root is a car insurance company today. Um, we were founded pretty much on the simple idea that better drivers will get into fewer accidents and therefore they should pay less for their insurance. I mean, I think a lot of the big fish out there that you've named, they use um, this kind of skewed graph of price where the worst drivers, they cost a lot. They're going to get into more accidents, but you can't charge them what they would actually cost the company because then no one would buy that insurance. It'd be thousands of dollars a month. And so instead, that's subsidized by the best drivers out there. So bad drivers pay less than they should, Good drivers pay more, and that's not fair. Um, and so Root's principle is how can we look at somebody's individual driving behavior to determine what their real price should be? And the Root app that we have does that in a pretty seamless way, where once you've created an account, you have the app just running in the background on your phone, it'll use the telematics of the gyroscope, the accelerometer in the phone to figure out how good of a driver are you, regardless of age, gender, where you live, just how much are you heartbreaking, how fast are you taking turns, how often are you interacting with your phone while driving. 
And we found that those are far more predictive of an accident than the legacy like demographic factors. And so not only, again, can we offer cheaper insurance for good drivers, we can also offer fairer insurance because it's based on like who you are as an individual versus what you look like on paper. Would I have to have that set up, an, a, your app on my phone and active while I'm driving in order to get root insurance? Uh, correct. Yeah, so it runs passively in the background. Um, you don't really have to worry about it. You can keep it out of sight, out of mind. And our typical test drive takes about two to three weeks, depending on how often you drive, to get a good feel of what type of driver you are. And then we'll reach out once the test drive is over, um, either through email or push notification, just to say that your quote is ready. And then you can figure out if it is a better choice for you. It's a no regrets move to at least take the test drive and see if Root could be a better fit. And then would I have to keep that app uh, going all the all the time on my phone after I get your insurance, or then would I be able to delete it and drive however I want? Uh, <laughs> um, well, we wouldn't recommend driving however you want if that's uh, a risky behavior. Um, you don't have to keep the app on your phone, though. Um, it is the main way of communicating with customer service or submitting a claim, and it's also where your digital insurance card lives. So from a convenience perspective, I'd recommend keeping it on there, but we don't do um, any repricing based on additional telematics, and so you don't have to have um, the app on your phone once you're a policyholder. That's an interesting way to set insurance rates. Is there any other company doing anything similar to that? I mean, there's definitely some players in the ecosystem that are doing similar things. Um, I know a lot of the big fish have been doing like those OBD devices that you can plug into your car. Um, the difference is primarily number one that comes at a, a post-policy experience. So once you're a, a member of one of those big insurance companies, you can potentially get like a 10% discount if you're a safe driver from their standards, um, where we average out to be about 50% um, savings of people that jump over to Root. But then also the critical component that they're missing is the phone use. And as we've been talking about today, distracted driving specifically with interacting with your phone is a huge issue and a really big factor in determining risk that all of them are blind to that we use. And so ensuring that people are good drivers, not just by how they perform in their vehicle, but also how they're interacting with their phone while they're driving, gives us a competitive advantage of making a better price, which also means then cheaper rates for people that choose route. That's interesting. It's just an interesting concept, and uh, I guess it's a competitive advantage uh, for some, and, and maybe others would see it as an invasion of privacy. Do you have people complaining about that? I guess they don't have to download the app or have to go through your test drive, but have you heard that complaint? We've seen that pop up for sure. Um, it's a small percentage of complaints, but for people that don't want to share um, privacy information, I can understand, especially with a lot of the stuff that's going out in the ecosystem today with some of the big social media players. Um, I will advise that we don't use your data for any purposes other than our internal research and quoting. But if that's a barrier for entry for people right now, unfortunately, that means Root probably isn't a good choice for you. But I think that will continue to become a smaller and smaller percentage of the country especially as we can demonstrate uh, more and more savings for consumers by showing us how good of a driver that they are. And if uh, people wanted to find out more about this uh, study that uh, you folks did, how can they get a hold of it? Yeah, the um, full report is available on our website. You can get to that at joinroot.com backslash focused hyphen driving. 
Um, there's a lot of information. We even break down the uh, worst and the best states and cities as it relates to distracted driving. And I will say that um, Denver is a little bit behind Columbus, Ohio, where I'm located right now. I think there's about 18.7 distracted driving events per 100 miles in Denver and 16.4 in Columbus. So the gauntlet and the challenge has been thrown to Denver residents to, to beat Columbus next year. Yeah, but we just decriminalized mushrooms, so we have that going for us. <laughs> okay, so there'll be a little bit of a spike for a while. Hopefully that'll normalize. Yeah, that could, you know that could change anything here in the next five years. You never know. Anyway, thanks again, uh, Connor Day, the Director of Product at Root Insurance. I appreciate your time and explaining your study and uh, everything that uh, Root Insurance has to offer. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. Connor Day with Root Insurance, and that's interesting. Uh, I didn't know that you actually had to do a test drive for a couple weeks, and then you get a quote. So that... You know, the one thing that now is just popping in my head, what if I download the app? Because I carry around two phones. One is my personal phone and one is a, a work phone. What if I downloaded it to my work phone and then I could have it on where I'm never really touching my work phone in, in the car? And, and if I really needed to get a hold of my, my phone and, and, and call somebody, then I, I would use my personal phone and, and throw off the system that way. I'm sure that some people, I doubt most people do that, but I guess there are some anyway. Well, I hope you had a safe Memorial Day weekend and have a safe summer travel season. And and honestly, people, stay safer than this couple. There was a man who was arrested after police say he drove while drunk to pick up a woman from police headquarters after she was charged with DUI. Yay! <laughs> yeah, that, that's how you do it. Well, apparently... It started in New Jersey when police say an officer smelled alcohol during a traffic stop, which led to the arrest of 21-year-old Morgan Duran. Duran was charged with driving while intoxicated. At the police station, she called 24-year-old Sebastian Rem to come pick her up. That's probably her boyfriend. When he arrived, police say they smelled alcohol on him as well and then arrested him, and he was charged with DUI and reckless driving at the police station. <laughs> Both were released to a sober driver pending a court appearance. That, my friends, is what you call the true Daily Double. Yay. <laughs> All right, there you go. Well, next week I'm working on another interview of some sort. I think I have a good one coming up. I think I have Jason Torchinsky coming on the program for next week. Uh, but we'll see. I, I, don't, I, I have him kind of booked but I haven't set up the exact time when I'll be able to talk to him. So we'll, we'll set that up, and, and hopefully I'll get him on the show for next week. I think that'll be a really fascinating interview. He has a new book that talks about uh, the autonomous technology that's coming to cars, and he's a car guy, and he's hung around the Jay Leno show, and he's done all kinds of – he has his own car show, Jason Drives, and it's on YouTube. And so he's uh, really involved with a lot of car stuff. And I think it would be really interesting to hear from him uh, about uh, the future of cars and the future of technology and self-driving cars and autonomy and all that stuff. So I'm working on that. That's going to be hopefully uh, for next time. If you would be so kind to rate, review, and repeat uh, this show, especially in iTunes, I would appreciate it. And then you can also get in touch with me uh, at Denver7Traffic on Twitter. And send me a note anytime or at thedenverchannel.com. You could always get a hold of me there. Thanks again for being here on this uh, super great edition of the Driving You Crazy podcast. 
Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jason Looper, the traffic guy. Be safe. And as always, happy motoring. Thank you.